Welcome to the podcast, Outing Religion, a diversity-affirming conversation on society and religious thought. With the author of the book series, Why and How the Clergy Lied, a journalist's academic report on LGBTQ and Christianity. Here's D.L. Day. Welcome. Our guest today is Dr. Toby Johnson. He's one of the important writers who's put into perspective the LGBTQ spiritual experience. As a former Catholic monk who subsequently became a psychotherapist with a PhD in counseling psychology, Dr. Johnson has a unique perspective on what on this program we're calling outing religion. He's author of numerous books, including Finding Our Own True Myth, What I Learned from Joseph Campbell, The Myth of the Great Secret. We're so honored to have him here. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the program. Hi, nice to be here. Um, Nice to have you with us. And I, I think it's only fair that I point out to the audience that you've graciously contributed some grammar and writing style and editing to all of my books. And I'm grateful for that. And I really respect your expertise and, uh, You've been quite helpful over the years, so thank you for that. Well, um, you're welcome. That that's been, you know, one of my one of the roles that I've taken on is uh, uh, both publishing my own stuff and helping other people publish. I think it's very important that there is a uh, a, a conscious culture of. Uh, about uh, both about religion in general and particularly about religion as it applies to gay people, LGBTQ people. And that stuff needs to be written down or nobody is going to get it. So I've been really interested in publishing. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think we have to we have to do some documentation of what's going on in our world. Am I correct that you once studied for the priesthood? Well, yes. Uh, I I joined the religious order that taught at my high school. They would have actually been teaching brothers, the Marianists. And uh, I was with the Marianists for two years. Um, They told me to leave the order. Uh, That was because I was gay, but they didn't explain it that way at the time, and I didn't really understand. I wasn't quite finished with religious life. I I went to St. Louis University and uh, met another order called the Servites that were um, very progressive and uh, uh, trying to adapt to the modern world. And I got quite enamored with the Servites, and I was with them for uh, three years and then realized, you know, I've sort of just gotten beyond Catholicism and Christianity, and I'm more of a Buddhist. And uh, and by that time, I was living in California and had discovered San Francisco and was beginning to understand myself as a gay man, and that changed everything. You have a master's degree in comparative religion and a doctorate in counseling psychology. That's quite a, a, an experiential combination. You know, let me share an interesting piece of my my life. Um, I, I originally went to the school called the California Institute of Asian Studies, thinking that I was pursuing Alan Watts, along with Joseph Campbell. Um, Alan Watts was another major figure in my life. Uh, you know, he was a um, Episcopalian priest who. Uh, who studied Buddhism and wrote a series of books that really introduced Buddhism, what we know of as as Buddhism, to America. 
um, in the uh, 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 50s and 60s. I uh, had a friend who uh, was teaching at a psych tech training uh, at Napa State Hospital. And uh, my boyfriend and I at that time uh, moved to Napa and and uh, uh, took a job working at Napa State Hospital in this training program and uh, got licenses as psych techs, which is a kind of nursing license in California with a specialization in psychiatry. And then I went back to school at the California Institute because, you know, with a degree in comparative religion, you can't do much. But a degree in counseling allow, gives you a job. So I had an interesting experience of working at this uh, uh, hospital, which was very traditional psychiatry, uh, using medicine and uh, psychoanalytic theory, and at the same time working in a graduate program in uh, a very new age uh comparative religion, questioning the nature of consciousness, sort of the opposite of the hospital. So I, I, I spent my life sort of caught between these two things, of seeing that there really is a real world that's outside that is scientifically described. And there is an inner world inside that is described using metaphors and myths and feelings um, and human beings are caught between these two. And so I had a nice experience of being caught between these two for several years in graduate school. So a number of your writings uh, have been about mythology. In, in some cases, you talk about individual mythology of, of each of our lives. And a lot of your work has been heavily influenced by, as you mentioned, Joseph Campbell. And by the way, Alan Watts, I think he wrote uh, End of Faith. Uh, and he's quite an influential person in our world and, and has influenced a lot of us. But Joseph Campbell, for our listeners who may not know, tell us about him and your relationship to his work. Joseph Campbell was a uh, teacher of comparative religions. Uh, he taught at Sarah Lawrence College, which in those days was a girls' college uh, uh, north of New York City. He uh, was interested in the nature of mythology and how uh, how mythology affects the way people think. His most famous book is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, in which he hypothesizes that, and this isn't so much a hypothesis, it's an observation, that uh, almost all of the mythological traditions around the world, the different religions, folk uh, folk stories all involve a main character called the hero who is called out from his his or her, it could be a woman, from their normal life and uh, suddenly uh, has to undergo a period of, of trials, uh, ordeals, uh, adventures in order to finally arrive at a discovery of the meaning of life or uh, or uh, the, the finding a hidden treasure. You know, depending on the story, they're either religious or they're uh, uh, secular or uh, uh, dreamy. So, so what he observes is that all religions have got this basic idea, and it's the basic idea that all of us go through in our lives. 
His notion is that we are all on this hero journey, trying to make sense of our lives and to make our lives worthwhile by participating and contributing in the world. At St. Louis University, I took a, a class in Jungian interpretation of literature. And uh, during the summer, uh, we were supposed, before class, we were supposed to read this book. And it, it exposed me to the world's religions in a way I had never been before. And it really changed how I understood religion. And here I am, you know, I, I was in, uh, I'd been in religious life in one order and was about to go to the other order. M major influence on me and how I saw the world. With the realization that the point of religion is to produce religious experience, not to convey history or to describe metaphysics, but to bring about a transformation of personality, to make us into loving, better, contributing people. Moved to California and uh, had gone to San Francisco and was studying at the California Institute of Asian Studies. And there was a notice on the bulletin board that Campbell was going to be giving a talk at a retreat center uh, outside Ukiah, California. So I wanted to go hear him. This sounded good. I'd like to meet him. And uh, so I signed up for a um, work scholarship and was asked to come up a day early and uh, so I arrived today early, Campbell arrived early, and I had an opportunity, therefore, to meet him kind of as part of the staff of this place. I stayed on then with them as one of the members of the team that worked uh, Campbell's appearances. So I really became part of the California crew that was around him when he was in California. For me, uh, understanding religion in this way that he uh, presented it, uh, not as about truth, but as about meaning, and understanding what these symbols and metaphors really are supposed to mean, I saw that, you know, this was the way for gay people to deal with religion. When, when you take it all out of dogma and doctrine and, and rules and taboos, uh, and shifted over into the ex into religious experience and uh, experience of meditative joy and bliss. All these terms, you can drop all the stuff that that is hurtful. And within the way most of us were raised, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I got all this Catholic stuff of guilt about sex. Understanding religion Campbell's way just sort of resolved all that for me. And I saw, you know, I'd like to share this with other gay people. And uh, so I ended up uh, uh, writing book, a magazine uh, of uh, gay men's spirituality, sort of emphasizing Campbell's approach. Understanding religion is about experience, not about um uh, not about history or belief or who's right. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about what is meaningful to you and what gives, what, what brings you what, what Campbell called bliss, the sense of having a reason for your life and feeling that there's a, 
you came into uh, manifestation in this lifetime for a reason. You need to figure out what it is and then fulfill it. Then you lead a fulfilling and happy life. Whether you go to heaven or not, heaven isn't the point. In fact, one of Campbell's ideas is that heaven is something you're supposed to experience now, not after your death. Uh, God is something to find now, not when you're dead. When you're dead, it's too late. So uh, I, 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 I joke that I became Joseph Campbell's apostle to the gay community. Well, that's very interesting because when we're talking about religion, some of the confounding elements of our personal mythology can be tied up with gender, sexuality, nationality, politics, religion. How much of our life story do you think is skewed by the influence of these things? Well, of course, you know, they come down to us in a way that should be very helpful. Unfortunately, over time, the, the you know, the, the stories, particularly when you get to the modern world, the stories don't quite make sense in the way they did 2,000 years ago. Uh, we have a, because of science, because of our ability to write and, and, and compile history, and because of our perspective, you know, we can look back. Given the reality now, we know what goes on around the world. We know about other people's religions. Uh, we can look back historically and see how the religions in our society, in our culture, uh, have changed and altered and evolved. We see that these things, to use that word again, evolve along with consciousness. They are evolving us, and we, in turn, evolve them. So uh, there, there's a need, or, 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 or it's not even a need, it's an automatic process that is just happening. As we know more about the world, our perspective on the world changes. Part of understanding what religion is, is to get outside of any specific one and look at all the religions. What do they have in common? What's the point of why, why the religions developed the way they did in their particular cultures? I, I think one of the realities that we're seeing in modern America is this clash between a, a kind of fundamentalist uh, Christianity very much concerned about what the Bible says and trying to go back to find everything in the Bible. That but, but, clashes with modern science and what we know, you know, the theory of evolution. Uh, the, the, there are a set of people who would like to say that creation happened on one or on seven days, the way the Bible says. And there are another set of people who understand, you know, Life evolved on Earth. We know that. We, we just know that the way we know the rules of science or uh, uh, the behavior of plants and animals, you know? You can tell. Once you get a perspective, you can see evolution happening. But in a way, we need to be able to hold both is true. There is a metaphor uh, in the creation story in the Bible about how God, consciousness, the world mind, something like that, brings all of this into being for our delight and enjoyment and so that we can take care of the garden. 
There's another reality, which is the scientific reality about evolution and going through the different species and competition. So these aren't opposed to one another. They're about different ways of understanding what our lives are about. But don't you agree that somewhere buried in all of the gyration, mixing and matching and manipulation that took place in coming up with what we are left with as scripture, somewhere in there is a historical Jesus that brought a redeeming message to us all? Oh, you raised an interesting question of who or what Jesus was. Um, well, you know, I, I, I mean, it just, could be a controversial one for some of our listeners. So yes, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want, I, I don't mean to offend anybody. And my effort is always to, uh, to, to try and modernize in a way that honors the real meaning of the past. I think, you know, historically, there were probably a number of people uh, in that period, you know, what's called the common era around the time uh, the calendar begins, the time of Jesus. There, there, there were probably a number of people named Jesus. Um, there are different stories. These stories got written down some as late as 100 years later. There were lots and lots of stories. Uh, at some point, some of them were chosen to be uh, uh, remembered and, and uh, honored as canonical, meaning official, and that created the Bible. There were a lot of other stories about Jesus that were uh, thrown away because they didn't fit the same, the, 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 they didn't fit the model. Um, they... Uh, this character was stranger than uh, the stuff that comes down to us in, in, in uh, as the New Testament. There is a character in uh, Buddhist theology or Buddhist uh, mythology uh, called the uh, the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. Mouthful of a name. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of the same story, uh, uh, but without without the bloody crucifixion but this character Avalokiteshvara saves the world by agreeing to take on everyone's future reincarnations for them so that he she this being that is both and is the one being that is living in all of us and that's why we should be compassionate with one another because we really are each other well, in Christianity, you've got the notion, you know, what you do to the least of my brothers, Jesus says, that you do to me. Jesus lives in each of us. Uh, the reason to be kind is because the people we are kind to are other Christs. Um, it's, the, it's the same kind of mythology. They, are, they develop about the same time. And it is the time when human beings began to drop taboos as the basis of religion. You know, what's forbidden, what's unclean. And we still see this today, uh, uh, particularly in the Middle East. We've got all this stuff about how people dress and women are murdered for not wearing their headdress right. But, but, but you know, to the extent that one can understand religion from over and above, one can see that there is this message about compassion and kindness. Religion is about being a good person. And these things that we believe, the stories about Jesus, ought to be stories that make us feel better about ourselves and make us treat other people better. 
So a final question for this episode of the program, Dr. Johnson. How do you think seeking our lives as our own myths, a mythology and self-story of which we take ownership and responsibility helps people in their view of life and, and living their life? Well, uh, thank you for mentioning it this way. You know, one of my books uh, is titled Finding Your Own True Myth. I like that um, the frisson between uh, myth and true. Um, myths are not, I mean, there's a way we, we use the term myth now to mean a falsehood. Um, but the religious myths, that's something else completely. And th th these are... Um, complexes of ideas and uh and and stories that evoke feeling uh which are supposed to uh give us a sense of meaning in our life you know for all of us there's some you know like if, if you read shakespeare let, let, let's go something secular like shakespeare or, or british poetry some poems you like, they seem to speak to you. Some of the stories in Shakespeare just, oh, isn't that wonderful? And you remember those lines. It's not that they are more true than others. It's they're the ones that spoke to you. There are other lines that speak to other people. And uh, in a way, in our own personal spiritual life, I think today the, the real effort ought to be to learn lots of these stories, different religions around the world. Uh, Christianity is a, is, has a very rich history and, and Catholicism in a way even more uh, because there's all this history after uh, the time of Jesus with uh, saints and all that all of which have stories that are meaningful, you know? So uh, we we get exposed to the stories and the ones that we resonate with are the ones that are going to be effective in, in giving us meaning. So I'm sort of saying, you know, and, and I say finding your own true myth, part of our effort in life ought to be and is figuring out what we resonate with why we resonate with it, how we should resonate with it, how these stories are meaningful to us. You know, for people who, for whom believing that Jesus was God and, and rose on the third day, that is a, those are, that's a wonderful story um, that doesn't really have a lot to do with the authority of the Pope or uh, whether uh, uh, one of these preachers uh, is, is, uh, preaching gospel truth, we choose the, we choose and inherit the stories that mean something to us. And I always thought part of psychotherapy was figuring out how to tell the story of your life. That's what you do with the therapist. You talk to your therapist in a way that you are telling the story. You're creating how you understand the meaning of your life. So that's what we do in psychotherapy. I think we do that personally in our meditation or our prayer life, however we call it. That's what all this is about. Joseph Campbell's term, follow your bliss. He says, follow your bliss and doors will open where you never even knew there were going to be doors. Dr. Johnson, thank you for being with us today. Always fascinating. Great to visit with you. Uh, and, and thanks for sharing the program. 
Thank you. Oh, very nice to chat with you. Thanks. Outing Religion is produced and hosted by D.L. Day, author of the book, Why and How the Clergy Lied, a journalist's academic report on LGBTQ and Christianity. All contents are copyrighted. Thank you for joining us.